0: Um, D-T-A-N-E-N-X.
1: Say twin geeks.
0: Geeks and...
1: This week on the Twin Geek Cast, we cover Midnight Cowboy. We got... We got trailers for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The new Terminator, Aladdin, and we got John Wick at your box office.
2: Movies and friendship. Those are mysteries.
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's just like
0: your opinion man this week we're looking at the the trailers first here for i think the one we wanted to start with was aladdin right
1: yeah uh, aladdin comes out uh, today it'll be out as of this recording
0: yeah right now i believe people can go see it the uh, thursday night premiere or whatever we want to call it now
1: <laughs> yeah we have the prince ali clip that's been haunting me for a couple weeks
2: Prince Ali, fabulous he, Ali Ababwa, show
0: some respect, boy, can genuflect, down on one knee. Now try your best to stay calm, brush up your Friday salon,
2: then come and meet a spectacular coterie. I've yeah.
1: watched this probably uh, 15 times. I uh, don't know
0: why you watched it that many times. Just you'd to soak to in.
1: <laughs> just to soak in. I thought about just reviewing the clip. Just skipping the movie altogether,
0: like like just review the clip for the site. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> I've seen it so many times now that uh, we should say that we recorded yesterday, but it wasn't usable. Uh, technical issues. Uh, we've also had this discussion before.
0: <laughs> right, it happens. So if, if our discussion is a little stale, you'll forgive us because it's like Groundhog Day over here.
1: Yeah, but um, the Aladdin clip it has a lot of um. It feels like Bollywood, but you you absolutely know that it's it's not. It's based off the cartoon.
0: Yeah, oh, well, that's the the weird thing is not only is it, I mean Bollywood is such a weird choice because this does not take place in India and nothing about it is Indian.
1: <laughs> right, <laughs> slightly racist move because it's just a stand-in for Baghdad anyway. Uh, what is yeah. it called? Agrabah or whatever it's called.
0: Agrabah. Yeah, it's a vaguely Middle Eastern country. Even if you mm-hmm. want to take liberties with how Middle Eastern it is, India is not at all Middle Eastern.
1: Yeah, it's not Baghdad or Agrabah. Um, and I feel like it does get a little bit of the uh, Middle Eastern spirit within that trailer, but it doesn't really capture um, anything like what the cartoon did.
0: No, and I just watched the movie again recently. You and did? Yeah, uh, because it's classic, and I wanted to kind of reevaluate it before this trash heap kind of comes around. Mm-hmm. And I, I it's it's really disappointing to see because the, the even just that one particular musical number is so alive and full of spirit and <laughs> it's it's partly because Robin Williams is there and actually cares unlike Will Smith but also a lot because it's you know animated not not just in the literal sense but like in the you know the actual emotional sense it's it's lively
1: yeah it's like uh Robin Williams had a bit of a thing like a, don't market me and it was kind of cool but Will Smith, you know, wants to be front and center, but he has a grotesque-looking genie, too.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing, is that we thought that genie clip we got, you know, a little while back was the worst thing we had seen yet, but oh boy, did they have more of this clip.
2: It
1: never ends with this this film. Um, I'm not a huge uh, Guy Ritchie supporter anyway.
0: Right, but this doesn't even look like a Guy Ritchie film. It doesn't.
1: (laughs) It doesn't look authentic to anything. That's kind of my problem with it. Right,
0: I, I mean, it looks... Like, all of the the live-action Disney films have been pretty soulless so far, but this is, like, the most, like, you know, empty-looking. It it looks just absolutely vacant.
1: This one has the most feeling of, like, okay, you didn't have any real inspiration to do this. This is just, like, a part of the line that you're doing because you've done these movies before, and Aladdin's the next most popular thing.
0: Yeah, I don't know. There's... I I can see reasons for, like, making a live-action version and it being interesting, but... N- none of the choices here are doing that.
1: <laughs> no. And uh, it, it has that 90s-style Will Smith rapping that I'm not a huge fan of, where he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. You know, it's kind of uh, the Fresh Prince style of rapping. It's kind of outdated, outmoded yeah. by now.
0: Even then, it's not even, like, he's he's obviously, like, auto tuned here, which is oh, weird, definitely, because, yeah. because we know that Will Smith is capable of singing, like, he shouldn't have to, and it's just... It sounds awful still, like he's not even trying, he doesn't care.
1: Yeah, it sounds like uh, they slowed down and reduced the tracks from what they were. It doesn't even have the reprise that's in the cartoon, which is weird.
0: Well, it's just it's just a one-minute clip right now. In oh, the no, film. even in
1: the movie, it doesn't have the repri- reprise, apparently.
0: Does it not? Like, is that what somebody said?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've read that.
0: Oh, okay, well, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it, but that's, I mean... I, I guess that's actually for our benefit because we don't have to suffer through the swords in our ears for that long.
1: <laughs> but uh, the other thing is, it's a lot longer than the cartoon movie by about forty minutes or so.
0: What do they do with that time? Uh,
1: well, this time they give Jafar a backstory, <laughs> so there's that.
0: Are you making things up now?
1: No, no, they give Jafar a backstory, and um, that's that's genuinely all I know.
0: Was he, like, were, were kids mean to him on the playground and that's why he's evil? Is that, is they that didn't, what we're going with? They didn't like
1: his weirdly shaped hat and mustache as a child?
0: I don't know. It's. I mean, he doesn't need it. You get this is it's a bad idea all around. I'm so exhausted by this and yeah, the whole movie. I don't want to deal with it.
1: I know. Uh, at least with Dumbo, it had a lot of new in it. Uh, It had to be, like, twice the length of the original, so... Obviously, they had to put stuff in and cut stuff out because of racism and uh, yeah. modernizing. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, Look, it sounds like
0: they took all the racism from Dumbo and put <laughs> it in here.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a to go somewhere.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, what's, the, what's next? We have the, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood trailer, the, the yeah. new Tarantino film. I love that stuff, you know, the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody
2: order fried sauerkraut?
1: It just premiered at, uh, Cannes this week, had a, it had like a four minute long ovation to it. Everything gets ovation at Cannes, but Everything this one does, sounded yeah. pretty big.
0: Don't, don't measure things by the length of ovations at any place.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and this one, it had the, it had the film of the ovation on Facebook, uh, the cameraman kept going in so quiet, so close on everyone, it looked like, a uh, Brad Pitt was about to pop him. <laughs> it was the most awkward thing I've ever seen. The most clumsy cameraman.
0: Uh... Just like over a can, filming, filming everyone.
1: Right. Uh, what do you think of the trailer?
0: I'm, I'm actually really excited for this. I mean, I'm, fully aware that this could go really bad because this is potentially Tarantino at his most extreme, self-indulgent, like jumping into '60s Hollywood here. Definitely. There's, there's just going to be so much cinematic, you know, jerking off all over the place, but. I, I'm up for it this time. Like It seems like this is the right environment to do it in. Like There's going to be a lot of fun to be had within the film.
1: It feels like he finally... I, I feel like it's going to be self-indulgent, but then you also get his irreverence that you're kind of looking for, right? Uh, <laughs> I feel like he gets to pay its dues to his uh, Corbucci influences and 60s, 70s uh, exploitation and uh, whatnot. It should be a fun time. Yeah, great it's cast.
0: Going to be. Oh, absolutely. We got huge, great casts, these these upcoming ones. But this was the first big one, but then Ryan Johnson's Knives Out kind of topped that, and then we got Dune topping that on on top of that. Then
1: Little Women. That that looks like a great cast, too. Yeah,
0: well, I'm super excited for this Tarantino film. Um, I mean, but I've enjoyed most all of them, for the most part, I just think. You have. Yeah, the the only odd thing I think, I'm still... Not sure how the Manson stuff is going to work into the story. This trailer finally gave us a little bit more of that, but it, it definitely doesn't seem like the two pieces go together quite yet.
1: Um, I think I think it's more like this is like the time of that happening, and maybe Sharon Tate disappears at some point, and it looks like it plays into it at the end there, but uh, I, I think not as much as people think it will. I don't think it's going to be a serial killer film.
0: I don't know, it'll be weird if that's kind of just a background thing. Like, it feels like it's supposed to be the main plot, but yeah. I, guess, I guess I'm guess i kind of happy that the trailer is not revealing anything about the plot. I'd rather not know too much going in. The, these trailers have done a good job so far of just kind of getting things, you know, exciting.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's all full of Tarantino moments. It's a, a guy burning Nazis yelling burnt sauer, uh, sauerkraut and, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of dancing.
0: In the first trailer, we got that that, uh, Bruce Lee moment. That was really cool.
1: We also got uh, up-close shots of dirty feet in here, which is... uh, I hear there's a lot of feet in the film.
0: Tarantino staple.
1: (laughs) I heard the UK journalist Robbie Collins said, uh, the film's full of feet, which is exactly what you expect, but also my first impression of the film now. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, you know, at least Tarantino doesn't try to hide his fetishes. Like (laughs) We we all know.
1: Yeah, right? (laughs) He's... I mean, maybe maybe he's, he's been on the joke now.
0: Them. Like maybe he's just doing it on purpose because he knows everyone's kind of thinking that anyway.
1: Yeah, and people people have a reaction based on his reputation now.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think this is definitely my most anticipated film for this year as of this moment now.
1: Uh, what about uh, what do you think about uh, Terminator Dark Fate? Is that your second most?
0: No, not at all. <laughs> have you watched it the not. trailer? <laughs> You know what I I was supposed to because he met, sent it to me this morning and I okay. didn't because <laughs> <laughs> I just got off work like an hour ago or something.
1: Well, Arnold posted on the Reddit there. Uh, he's done a little bit of a drop in AMA there too.
0: That was cool. I did read a little bit of that while I had a break at work. I was just kind of reading okay. it through, and I'm like, oh, it's that's nice and random. That was really cool.
1: It's nice. It's just a moment of of the of the film. It doesn't feel like it's showing much of it. Um, a little bit of a fight with the Terminator and Connor and. That seems fine.
0: Mhm. I don't know. I'm, I'm not excited about it no. at all. And, yep. and I haven't been since like even we got those first images. Like, j- just let it die.
1: Well, I thought I needed to go back and watch all the Terminators for it, but I watched the first two and stopped. Which is, I think, where that's you before need you to
0: stop. Be. Yep, that's all you need. Don't yeah. watch anything else.
1: Just tried to convince me that the Sarah Connor Chronicles or whatever it is is a pretty good show, but I don't know.
0: I've heard it's good, but... um, I don't want to have time
1: for pretty good old shows, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I need a show Uh, to really be great if it's not new.
0: mm Mm-hmm. Let's see, it looks like this new Terminator film was directed by the guy who did the first Deadpool, Tim Miller.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's actually produced by James Cameron again, which is uh, uh, good to have back for fans.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Especially, I mean, you liked Alita, so that's good news, I suppose, right?
1: Uh yeah, I think I think Jim Cameron on anything's pretty good news. Uh, it, this doesn't look good. Um, but mm-hmm. I I think the best part of today was just the Arnold AMA. Um.
0: Yeah, it'd be better than the movie was.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anything else you have on this, or?
0: Uh, I don't think so. I think I'm ready to move on to talking about what's going on in the box office. Okay. Let's go. Uh, let's start here. at Number ten, we have Ugly Dolls still
1: uh ugly dolls uglier movie uh no interest
0: yep not much to say uh number 9 we have palms which is that <laughs> aging retirement home cheerleader film <laughs> yeah uh, all these Eden.
1: yeah all these old actors going into these retirement movies maybe they should just retire from acting
0: yeah i think that's what we'd really like to see from there at some point like leave your yeah leave your reputation, and then make a great comeback with some big dramatic film, like, in ten years. Yeah. Everyone will appreciate it. Stop, make, stop churning out crap.
1: Not everyone gets the old man and the gun. Some people just get palms.
0: Yeah, hopefully, Diane Keaton makes better future choices, or just stops... I don't know. I'm fine with either.
1: Yeah, either, either result is the right result, but one of those. Please stop mm-hmm. doing this.
0: Uh, you, you said you were interested in this next one here, now, 8. Uh, the Sun is also a star.
1: Yeah, I... You know, it takes very little for me to be interested in a, um, in a, uh, what would you call it, like a rom-com, like a young adult rom-com, that sounds fun, uh, the whole point is like this guy comes, uh, or this girl's in the city and this guy's like, I'm gonna convince you that you love me within a day, but she has to leave New York at some point in the next day, uh, she's getting forced out, immigration stuff, uh, it's a Mm best-selling book, I worked at a bookstore and saw this one every day, um. Very popular.
0: I'm kind of glad we're we're re-recording because yesterday we basically just shat <laughs> all over how this looked because the ratings weren't well. Yeah. So now we can have a more positive outlook on it.
1: Yeah, it, it it sounds okay to me. I think it I think it sounds interesting enough. Anything with a hook like that, I'm fine with, uh, especially with the political hook.
0: Mm-hmm. So hopefully, maybe you'll go see it this week or next or something.
1: Maybe <laughs> it, <laughs> it looks very video on demand for me, and there's so much out right now, but. uh Definitely soon. Um, despite the ratings, I'm very interested. The cast look really good. Although it has that thing in the trailer where it's like we're just normal people, and it's like you guys are beautiful. You, you're very handsome actors. Stop it.
0: <laughs> Stop lying.
1: Yeah, it's another. It's not one of those uh, cool teen um, death stories, but there's always something bad happening to a cool teen.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, next film we have here is also a rom com. Number seven, uh, Long Shot.
1: Yeah, I I liked Longshot a lot, uh, probably a lot more than I'd like uh, Sun is Also a Star.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, you're a sucker for rom-coms. And this was a Seth Rogen one, so I guess it's got that going it too.
1: Yeah, uh, Laura has a review on the site where she talks about um, maybe Seth Rogen needs to move on. He's about 40 years old and has been making these films for about 20 of those years.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if it still works, you know... I don't see any harm in him keeping going. I can't imagine him doing, like, anything else. I think we talked before. He's not gonna, he's not gonna have a Jonah Hill career turn.
1: Yeah, Jonah Hill was the one that really came out of it and had the career we expected of Seth Rogen, so, uh, I, I think it's funny, he has a scene in the beginning where he infiltrates a Nazi group, gets a swastika tattoo, but he only gets, like, halfway through it, so he just has, like, two lines of a swastika, and then he has to, he gets exposed as a Jew within the Nazi camp, and then, uh, uh, has to make a breakaway, runs and jumps out the window. It's it's fun, Seth Rogen stuff. I like it.
0: I can't I can't imagine Seth Rogen having the the leg strength to jump, let <laughs> alone out a window. <laughs> he,
1: he has a hard fall and takes a while getting up. Uh, uh, he also has a great fall downstairs in this film. Uh, one of the funniest falls I've seen.
0: Hmm. Well, apparently nice they. To-
1: Apparently, they looked on YouTube and found the most ridiculous fall they could, and then they did some CG around it to make it a, even more expressive.
0: hmm. Uh, well, I'm still shocked that, was has it been, like four weeks or so it's been in the box office, and every single week, it's been behind the intruder.
1: <laughs> That's because it's a long shot. It was never destined to make it that far.
0: I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm still baffled by... <laughs> Who is seeing this film and what it even is I think and we,
1: why. I think we hit on it that it's like dads and everyone that nobody on the internet is seeing this film or we would have heard no, of it.
0: Certainly, but it's a it's a pretty big disparity between them. It's a seven or eight hundred thousand dollar difference in between uh. Or, yeah, uh between this it, intruder? yeah. Almost yeah, uh,
1: I I don't really know who's going to see it because nobody talks about it and uh, it was what first or second? It was second a couple weeks ago. So
0: yeah, I don't think it's anything else has been first except for like this week in a, a long time now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, after um, that I'd... we have the hustle at five,
1: which I probably know the least about, and I'm the least interested in. What do you think?
0: I probably know even less, and I'm even <laughs> less interested.
1: Yeah. Okay, we can move on.
0: Yeah. At number four, we have A Dog's Journey, which we spent a little bit of time earlier today figuring out how dog cinematic universe kind of works.
1: I did some investigative journalism today (laughs) (laughs) because we were so stuck on this yesterday. Um, So the idea is that uh, there are three dog movies, right?
0: Right. It's A a Dog's Purpose, A Dog's Way Home, and now A Dog's Journey. And one of those was... Earlier this year that we talked to <laughs> a lot. On.
1: One of them came out literally four months ago. That's The Dog's Way Home. That's the Sony picture. Uh, the first one and this one are the uh, Universal Amblin movies. So And, and they're
0: tied d- together. The, the, the Dog's Journey here, the one in this week, is a direct sequel to A Dog's Purpose.
1: There's a ridiculous statement on the author's website trying to separate what each one is and saying that this is the franchise and that other one is another thing they that wrote that's coming out the same year. But I think there's probably a lot of public confusion of what's going on right now.
0: I Honestly, I think with who these are marketed towards, they're not concerned with deciphering which film is connected to what. <laughs> they're just going to see dogs.
1: I mean, it's like I, I saw three Homeward Bound movies when I was a kid. Did it even matter?
0: What, do you remember the order of events of the Homeward <laughs> Bound films? I know they went oh, home at know. some point. <laughs> yeah.
1: Just like A Dog's Way Home and Just Like A Dog's Purpose and Journey are about... Uh, well, these two are about like the rebirth of dogs. It's not quite H-y, is it? But
0: I, I guess. But I don't know. Now that you got a dog, you think you're gonna go see this dog movie? Uh,
1: I might watch it with him once it comes out. Actually, uh, <laughs> uh, we have a couple dog movies in the in the box office this week. Yep. Uh, do you, uh, you want to know the statement? He he just talks about how. Uh, he tries to differentiate how he's writing a third sequel, <laughs> A Dog's Purpose 3, A Dog's Promise, which isn't connected to A Dog's Way Home, but is connected to A Dog's Purpose and Journey.
0: It's, it's too convoluted.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't want to talk about it anymore.
0: All right. And, and number three, we have uh, Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Uh,
1: another pet movie about uh, animal slavery and husbandry. <laughs>
0: Oh I don't know, I've heard uh good things from this from uh my, my more Pokemon related people. Last week I outed myself as a Pokemon enthusiast.
1: And you did it right after we got the review finished, so we <laughs> we couldn't really do anything about that. It seemed like a oh yeah, by the way, I'm the only one on staff who knows about this.
0: Yeah, I, I am a, a very Pokemon educated person, but specifically chose not to write a review about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just so bro would have to. Um we're also putting him on stranger things despite his disinterest
0: mm-hmm but yeah i don't know i'm i'm interested to see this i've heard f- good from like i said my pokemon friends who, who got some fulfillment out of it and seeing a lot of the pokemon they recognize up on screen in weird and interesting ways and uh, it might be something to check out if it comes around to to render whatever i don't know well
1: i'll say if you think it's filmed really nicely it looks like old film it doesn't feel so digitized so that gives the pokemon more of a, a shape and presence on the screen
0: that's good. That's, like, the crucial factor of this film, like...
1: Definitely. The the CG uh, looks really, really believable, too. Not quite Paddington, but nice.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that's all it really has to be, as long as it's uh, interesting like that, and it looks good. Like, the story can be, be shit, and people will be satisfied.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know if I like Ryan Reynolds. He's pretty annoying, anyway. Uh, This kid lost a father, and his dad's replaced by a Pikachu, which doesn't seem like a fair trade, but...
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, I don't have much to say about it until like I guess I eventually see it.
1: <laughs> Are you going to see it?
0: No, not 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 until it comes out. Well, I, anything else. E- Even if I do, you know, I'm I'm probably just lying to myself. I'm not going to see this.
1: Yeah, my my favorite <laughs> moments feel so small. Like it's small stuff, like a like a side hugging a Pikachu. and uh, they're so small that it feels insignificant. It feels mm-hmm. like such a small part of my year, even though I thought it was fine.
0: Mm mm-hmm. Well. I guess in the meantime, uh let's take a look again at uh, Avengers number 2 here. Don't have much to say um, about it that <laughs> we haven't already exhausted.
1: I guess I guess there were some theaters that were uh, showing the Spider-Man trailer in front of it, so some people got it ruined before the film started.
0: <laughs> That's so funny because it's it's literally like super spoiler like right off the bat. Like right. I mean, I know they give you that moment of like, hey, this is you know Tom Holland. We're gonna spoil yeah, Endgame, so don't see this yet. But like, yeah. <laughs> if if you don't get out of your chair and out of the theater in the next five seconds, you just get immediately spoiled.
1: I don't even know if that runs in front of the theater, but it, the whole trailer is like, uh, well, spoilers here too. Are you going to replace Iron Man? mm
0: mm-hmm. I mean, people should have already seen it by now. Yeah, I yeah. I'm not of- worried about it. If they're listening to our podcast and missed the, decide to skip the Avengers episode, but still have not caught at the theater, they they deserve to be spoiled by now.
1: I mean, the box office results shows that everyone in the country has seen the film twice. So.
0: You think it's gonna gonna pass Avatar here soon?
1: I think I give it two weeks. I think it's slowed down way significantly, and uh, I give it two more weeks. Uh, it's already done it domestically, but it needs to do it worldwide.
0: Mm-hmm. I know originally, like you know, when the film first came out, you were you were doubting that it was going to do it, but
1: yeah, I had no I, idea. <laughs> but what, do you, little... what do you think? Are you surprised by it at all?
0: No, I thought this was going to happen for sure. This is the biggest you know cinematic event in ten years, and it's been building up for a long, long time. Of course, it's going to pass that.
1: I just heard just... a lot of people last year saying they were done, and then I was like, well, I guess they're not really done, are they?
0: Well, they were done in the sense that. They still want to see how this concludes, but they're done after that. Like, yeah. like that's that's kind of the general consensus here is that yeah, we're all tired of it, but we're gonna go see this one last one just so we can <laughs> say officially that we're done. And
1: Then Marvel's like, uh, by the way, Spider-Man's included in that phase. Mm-hmm. Sneaky bastards.
0: I mean, I was gonna go see Spider-Man anyway because you know who doesn't Spider-Man man, man. Yeah, you
1: gotta see him. Well, uh, at number we-
0: one. Number one here, uh, which I was surprised to see did end up passing uh, Avengers here, was John Wick 3, Parabellum, which I did go see.
1: Uh, this is like the second time you've seen a film before me, <laughs> so what do you think? Yes. Let's focus on your thoughts.
0: Alright, so I would rewatched the first two, going in, you know, to see, get really hyped up and excited, because I love the first two films. For the first hour, I'm like, yeah, this is doing everything for me. It's so great, the action's even better, oh my god, and then like, the the convoluted bullshit just started piling up even more than from the last film, and I'm like, oh no. And I'm watching, I'm just kind of watching things unfold. At a a certain point, I felt the uh, emotion and, like, you know, interest behind the action just, like, dissipate. Like, I'm like, this is just me watching a bunch of guys have intense choreography, you know, fight choreography going on. It doesn't mean anything.
1: (laughs) That's how I feel watching, like, uh, Hong Kong cinema or whatever. It's just mm-hmm. a lot of action.
0: Well, I think it, it's definitely different. I'm, I'm going to take an entirely different stance on you than Hong Kong cinema. I don't know why you can't get into it, but there is plenty of emotion and reason behind it. But it's mm-hmm. just... W- w- with the John Wick films here, like, especially... Like, it started happening in the last one, but it, like, it just doubled down even more on the world-building lore stuff, and it's just so overstuffed and not all that calculated. And, I, and I'll say this as well, I feel comfortable saying this now since the sequel was announced already, that not knowing that there was going to be a sequel and think, going in thinking this was going to be a conclusive film, uh, I, when it started to get up to the end and it was obvious that things weren't wrapping up, I was wondering what the hell was going on and if they really were going to keep going and make it a fourth one, because I think that's a really bad idea because the series is going to get stale before long
1: i think the series probably peaked right here i think it'll be on the down slopes on the next one but i did expect a fourth one before it came out Mm -hmm. i I expected Uh, them to put this up for like mission impossible after seeing like fallout's uh, income last year
0: mm -hmm. i I really didn't want them to do this but it looks like the way they're going so
1: (laughs) you also didn't expect it to beat avengers so i could see where you wouldn't expect a sequel
0: um, yeah, I, the the series has become so much bigger than it started out. That first film is so uh, humble in comparison. Yeah, it's good.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, it's really good. Um, it it makes me sad having a dog now, though. We'll get into right. that next week.
0: This is this is this is the real dog film. You should go see. I still would recommend yeah. people go go see it, despite my significant complaints. Uh, if, if all you want out of it is a kick-ass action film that you know kind of revs things up even more from the last two films you're gonna get that it's there i it's just like it i
1: like it. the idea i like the idea of like a second phasing for um keanu reeves like we were talking about like palms and what people do late in their career well this is like kind of the part of his career that should be on the on the downhill side right he's getting into his 50s he's getting tired
0: Well, he don't look, I'll tell you that. (laughs) No, have you seen the
1: gun training videos of him in this film? Yeah. They're incredible. Uh, That dude, man, the way he loads the shotgun, I've watched it about 50 times and I I can't get over it. He has so much style and uh, people say that he could compete competitively with guns.
0: Absolutely. It definitely looks like it. I'd say this is, outside of the 90s, this is Keanu Reeves' real big return. You know, probably even better, especially this character. If if he gets some better writing, I think in the next film, like this will really solidify his legacy.
1: By next film, do you mean Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure three? Uh,
0: you know what? I'm actually unironically excited for that.
1: Me too. I love the Bill and Ted films unironically.
0: Right. It's just it's it's very weird for the old Bill and Ted. I think is the kind of weird thing that I don't know if it's going to work.
1: I mean, Reeves is acting so far uh, uh, below his age that it's really impressive. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, between this and Bill and Ted, he's doing some young man stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think that's about all. We'll yep. have more to say about John Wick next week because we're going to talk about all of them.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: In the meantime, let's talk about the film we picked out this week because it's very important uh, week. This is the 50th anniversary of John Sleichinger's Midnight Cowboy. whoop a tee get along, little doggies, for you know New York will be your
2: new home. Where's that, where's that Joe Buck? Where's that Joe Buck? Where's that Joe Buck? Get along, little doggies.
0: Where is that Joe Buck? Look at this crap. Yeah, where's that, where's that Joe Buck?
2: Where's that Joe Buck?
1: Where's that Joe Buck?
2: You're due here at 4 o'clock. You know what you can do with them dishes. And if you ain't man enough to do it for yourself,
0: I'd be happy to oblige. I'm, I'm thinking about the song now. I'm hoping the clip you put that in really here good. features the the main title song. Uh, oh, yeah. It's such a
1: significant song to the film.
0: Yes, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. What's it, uh, it's called Everybody's Talkin' by Harry Nielsen. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's just it's kind of perfectly captures the tone of the film. It's it's super upbeat and fun and optimistic, but it's it's also very um, kind of like melancholy as well, I think the People way I say it, which really, you know, totally captures the tone of the film, I think, overall I love I love the song and how it's basically a microcosm of the entire thing.
1: Yeah, I agree. It has like the whole journey of the film within the song, like implied through its lyrics and the tonality of the song. It really actually gets the aesthetic of what this is about within just, you know, very, very small lines, like uh, talking about sunshine within the rain and leaving people behind and love and uh, the journey of life, especially. Uh, there's a lot in there.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it was interesting to find out, doing love a little watching around, special features and such, that this was like... Not even the first song no. they considered. <laughs> they had it was a, a placeholder they, song, I think.
1: Yeah, it was a placeholder, and they had people like Bob Dylan coming in and laying down tracks that they wouldn't even use for this.
0: Yeah, he wrote... Uh, Bob Dylan wrote another great song that's independent of this. It's called... Lay Down Lay. Lay Lay Lay. Lay Lay, Lay is what it's okay. called. And it's a really great song that... I could see sort of working for the film, but definitely not in the same way yeah. that, that Everybody's Talking does. And, I, you know, it's hard to imagine a better song. I don't think there is a better song that fits it. It's just so perfect, and I think of the film every time I hear it.
1: No, it is the Midnight Cowboy song now. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. This this is a special movie, too. You brought this film to my wedding, the only film that featured at my wedding, actually.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I threw this in with your uh, other wedding present, Uh, the nice new Criterion version that came out, and, you know, because I knew we were talking about Watching this coming up on that time, and you wanted to see it again.
1: Well, let's be honest. I, I just heard that you had too many copies of it for some reason, so I just <laughs> guilted you into it, and then then your fiance convinced you that you had to do it.
0: Yep. So we, we just threw it a present. Originally, like I pitched, I was <laughs> like, "I'll sell it to you for a lesser price." We sell some of these old things, and you're like, "And she's like no you should just give it for free.'" I'm like, "All right." <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: but I, I was glad you did because I get to watch it on my honeymoon, and uh it is an important film to me. I watch it with commentary out at my. Cabin, which is a nice uh, experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think the impressive thing you said to me as well, because we watched this together just what two days ago now, yeah. and um <clears throat> like y- y- you were uncertain going in if you were going to be all that engaged, having just recently watched it again. But man, you were like really fixated on it still.
1: <laughs> I know. I I I love the film even more this time. Um, there was a lot. There's a lot with the baby that and watching commentary that you miss over, right? I mean, it mm-hmm. mutes uh, the signature song for one. But also a lot of the really impactful parts are talked over, because there's a lot to say about them in commentary.
0: I think uh, one of the funny things he talked about missing was like, oh god, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to embarrass you here. Uh, we we're watching the, the sequence come through, and when he first meets up with Ratso again, and Ratso brings him into the apartment, and you know there's a big like sign for Florida, like a map or tourist thing, right on the you know inside of the door frame there you're like, oh, I didn't notice that before. I guess, you know, I didn't realize that they kind of hinted towards the, the end where they go to Florida. And then the next, the immediate preceding conversation is, is Rato talking about wanting to go to Florida. He's like, I love he,
1: that Florida orange juice.
0: Yeah, as he passes by a giant sign for orange juice, for Florida orange juice yeah. next to, you know, the other wall there. And then like five minutes later in the film, there's a jingle about Florida orange juice.
1: That really takes over the whole scene, that, that jingle. Then, I, I must have just been changing diapers or something. I don't see what it is to you. What, what's the what's the deal with this Florida thing?
0: Yeah, I don't know how you missed all that because even on top of that, there's then a big you know sequence like like the, the dream sequence in Florida later. <laughs> like I, it's like in that point at that I'm just like, I don't know how you missed this. You must have <laughs> not been watching the film at all.
1: I mean, I I think with the baby, sometimes you're just listening to a commentary. I don't. I think that's why I watched the commentary, so I can just that, listen.
0: That had to be like you weren't watching it all, just hearing the commentary. And of course, sure. you can't hear any of the actual film when watching the commentary. Yeah,
1: it's a really good commentary track though, and it has the um, director and someone on production in it. I I believe they go over uh, everything that went on with the. It's interesting uh, that they ended up getting this song, and then they ended up with John Voigt because there were a lot of people in the mix.
0: Yep, a lot of us. Uh... You know, fairly significant names as well. N- yeah. None that I recognize like John Foyt, But yeah. I know it's uh you know, I, I think it was a good time to talk about both both John Foyt here and Oppen. Well, I think but. they
1: I think they had who? Like Harrison Ford at some point in for a screen reading, but nothing really came about it.
0: Oh, I hadn't heard of that, but that would have been I don't know. It's another one thing like, just like the song I can't imagine yeah. someone other than John Foyt doing a good job here, which is interesting because I don't think John Foyt's a great actor.
1: <laughs> no, I don't I don't like John Foyt either in general. I like him here but uh, I think his unlikability kind of works in a in a favorable, roguish way here.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think it's just a right moment at the right time. He really yeah. embodies this kind of naive young, you know, Texan character, despite not being remotely from Texas himself. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's an interesting thing. He and so you know, again, kudos to him for seeming like that because and he's a New York native.
1: I've- I think the good thing is that he's such an artificial cowboy. Like you say, he's more Roy Rogers than he is John Wayne. And yeah, mm-hmm. they talk about, his John Wayne a fag, right? Like a, a, it's not a, it's not, he's not a real Western guy. <laughs> I mean, he right. just washed dishes. He wasn't like working the rodeo circuit or something.
0: Mm-hmm. And so it goes that his whole image is kind of fake. And he's this, you know, fake hustler as well. No. And I think you see that even better in the film. Like when you get those moments where he's walking down the street and you see these, these rows of other cowboys there hanging out, doing it. Yeah. Well, cause they, and they, they talk about, it. they reference how the, the cowboy kind of get-up is, is definitely seen as more of a uh, a homosexual thing. I'm not going to say the yeah. same thing they did. <laughs> uh,
1: well, I think, I think he wore it there because it's who he was, and then he came to yeah. New York and it was like a homosexual marker for, um uh you know, like prostitution. It wasn't about who he was anymore. It became a marker of a different counterculture than he thought it was
0: mm-hmm. well and that's why it becomes a significant moment at the very end of the film where he kind of ditches that you know he yeah uh he comes to new york and he tries to to stay himself and his identity but when he goes to florida he ends up you know completely dishing that to become floridian
1: yeah yeah uh, uh i don't want to go to the ending yet <laughs> right right so some of the film a lot of the film is like uh it has my favorite Uh, transient pieces of new york Uh, i think a lot of new york is street walking and the experience of the city from the street and this has a lot of my um getting around on foot favorite stuff in film
0: this is so this is like a quintessential new york film absolutely like when you think of new york this is the kind of thing you see and they do a really great job of establishing that some of my favorite moments of the film are early when he first gets to new york and you see him like getting the city experience the first time mm. I, I, I love the shot the Midnight Cowboy shot where it's just this ocean of people down the street in New York <laughs> and it's just John Voight's head sticks right above everyone else's there. Yeah. I think I'll use that for the like the podcast image it's here because it's, well, it's, and, it, and it says a whole lot about the character and whatever's going on. It's only there for like a second it's mm. a very short shot but it's a very powerful one
1: uh, there's a lot of voyeurs, and in the shots of uh, him going around New York, it feels like we're just on the street corner watching.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of was. I mean, it was a lower production kind of film, and they ended up having to, to do some, uh, you know, more guerrilla shooting tactics here. The you know the most famous moment in the film was uh, kind of improvised because what happened?
1: Uh, because uh, well, they they didn't have a permit to shoot on the streets of New York, so they had to follow them in a car. Um, And they shot out the window of a van, but then there was a taxi that ran the red light, right? And, uh, you want to tell the rest?
0: Yeah, yeah, so, because I got some things to say, but yeah, so, the famous sequence where there, it's, you know, John Voight and Dustin Hoffman walking down talking about things, and... Um, you know, the taxi cab almost hits him in the street, and that's when, you know, Dustin Hoffman bangs on the hood of the car. He's like, hey, I'm walking here, I'm walking. I'm
2: walking here, Up a me out of here.
1: Great moment.
0: Yeah, great moment, and it's like this perfect, you know, moment of, like, New Yorkiness. Like, that's you see that interaction, and it introduces you to this, you know, aggressive world of the city here it's a perfect Mm. moment for that and that's what people take away and then repeat ad nauseum in (laughs) references that (laughs) have no connection to the film otherwise
1: i think your problem is that it's a out of context thing that could be taken in any way but people don't know that it's from the film when they say ad nauseum
0: yeah and that's the the frustrating thing like people know that scene and that reference but they don't know where it's from or what midnight cowboy is (laughs) and it's it's so frustrating for me to see because it's like this this like this slow degradation of art essentially here this important cultural you know touchstone piece here is not being recognized by the public and we're just going to take this one innocuous moment and that's the only thing that's going to be remembered from it, and that is heartbreaking to me.
1: I sent you the pictures of the target boxes with the with the new phrases on them. It's just a, you know, uh, say hello to my little friend. It's it's the most basic phrases from a film selling on mm-hmm. the DVD cover.
0: Yeah, it's it's awful to me to see that <laughs> that nobody. It's tragic. Nobody's gonna. Well, that's the thing is that you say that no, you know, uh, you know, say hello to my little friend. Everyone, even you know, Joe Schmo or whoever, he's gonna say, "Oh, that's Scarface. That's the Al Pacino or whatever." I know that. I just, you know, I'm,
1: I'm just afraid that those moments are becoming bigger than the movies that we've made a cinema of moments. Whereas, uh, something like Midnight Cowboy, you should really know the whole experience. It's right, not well, just this one scene.
0: <laughs> that scene is almost like unimportant to the rest of the film. It it doesn't. It's not like a climax or anything. No. Like it's not a particularly emotional moment. It's, like I said, it's a it's a perfect moment to encapture the kind of New York idea there, but it's there's many moments like that.
1: <laughs> I think what's so frustrating inherently about it is that it's improvised. It's not a part of the film. Like, it's not designed into the film, right? Like, the only thing people know about it isn't a thing that Midnight Cowboy meant to be.
0: Right, and that's not a bad thing because it is something that is Midnight Cowboy. You know, the improv improv is greatly integrated into the film but you can't forego that, you know, in lieu of the rest of the film. The rest of the film is even more crucial than that, because, you know, not only is it just an important kind of New York story, but this is a really important film in terms of just the, the LGBT, you know, viewpoint there.
1: Yeah, it came out uh, late 60s, 69, and uh, it, it came out X-rated, which is very interesting for films at that time.
0: Yeah, so that's, that's such an interesting and other important thing here to say as well, is that this film should not have been successful in the environment it was released. No. And, uh,
1: yeah, it it really didn't, it didn't have much that would suggest that it would be.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, if you take the material, it's a serious drama film, and it's about, you know, it's about these uh, kind of controversial issues, you know, even still in the world, we are not accepting, you know, LGBT, you know, lifestyles in any way. And though the film isn't, Strict, strictly strictly uh, homosexual film, you know. There's there's conflicting ideas. It very much touches on those things. I mean, the whole backstory for Joe's character there is he's essentially dealing with this trauma of being you know sexually assaulted in his you know youth by both his by both a relative and it, it looks like some gang of hoodlums of some kind. <laughs> it, I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. Um... It's not very specific in the flashbacks, but that's part of the the, you know, art, artistic style
1: of it. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it got the X rating mostly because of the, the blowjobs in the cinema when he's watching the space movie and the guy's, like, unleashing from his cord and and uh, the guy's going down on him. But the guy doesn't really know if he wants to do this. It's real tragic.
0: That's, a, that's such a heartbreaking moment because you got, I mean, it's basically a moment of desperation for both characters there. You know, Joe Buck's character is... is Going along with this, and obviously not enjoying it, just because he needs the money. And then there's the young Bob Balaban carrier who's clearly just this confused kid who doesn't know what he wants, but thinks this might be what he wants, and he's he has no one to go to 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 figure himself out. So he's, uh, yeah I don't know. It's it's hard hard to think about because then the the confrontation afterwards is is also just so devastating.
1: <laughs> it is, and. Uh, I, I don't want. I don't mean to laugh, but he he still has to hustle the kid. He still has to get his money out of it. And he, he
0: basically he starts to shake him down, and he's you know the kid's like I don't have any money. I lied about it, and that's like the the desperation becomes even more clear that he he basically just lied, you know, about having money so he could have this opportunity to to explore himself.
1: Yeah, I think the I think the brilliance of its marketing is that back then it it wasn't really destined to see succeed at all, but uh, their whole marketing campaign was like whatever you hear about this film is true you know they got the x rating and they use that to their advantage to kind of leverage into the oscars and get a little bit more information than it really needed
0: well that's the that's the crazy thing like not only was it you know recognized by the oscars which was already you know kind of unbelievable for the kind of film it was you know it fucking won best picture that year
1: <laughs> it's ridiculous because i think it's an actor's film and i thought it should have won the acting nominations
0: Right. Well, that, that's a whole other thing. Like that, that's such a weird thing to me. Like in the same year that they give this greatly artistic, auteur driven film best picture, <laughs> they throw the best actor Oscar at guess who? John Wayne for <laughs> True Grit. <laughs> like, Meanwhile, their gimmie. best
1: picture, <laughs> their best picture winner calls him a fag. But that's a that's for another time.
0: It's 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 a kind of funny thing, I guess, when you think about the the crossover there. Because he went but, and
1: saw the film and said it was incredibly perverse, but it it beat him at uh, best picture, but not best actor. I don't actor. even think
0: like True Grit, True Grit was only nominated for best actor. I'm pretty sure, and so it makes kind of the uh, clear clear even more that that was basically just the the academy like, <laughs> well shit, John Wayne's getting old and uh, but, we haven't rewarded him yet.
1: It bothers me because True Grit is a writer's story and this is an actor's film, so I thought it should have probably maybe gone the other way.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm, absolutely. I think you said that What you think this is Dustin Hoffman's best performance of his whole career, right? I,
1: I think it's I think it's Hoffman's best. I put this one and then um, The Graduate right after it.
0: All right, and that's the other kind of crazy thing, is that this was right off the heels of The Graduate. He Insane. went from college heartthrob to dirty street rat <laughs> then
1: <laughs> and i i love that he goes from like heartthrob to scuzzy because uh this is the first recorded use of scuzzy by the way in a film so i think it's totally appropriate because that word defines uh ratso especially but there's that ache, mm-hmm. moreover
0: right it's and, and his character is really where the the heart of the film is even more you know this is joe buck's story definitely in his journey through you know like uplifting his world and then meeting someone along the way Mm -hmm. but the the tragedy and the you know the real gut punch of the film is in Ratzo's situation and how how rapidly his world devolves
1: he goes into immediate decline like a i mean when joe buck shows up he's not even in in the best of conditions right he just has his guzzy old uh, hotel room with the uh, the only hope in it are uh, advertising for oranges. There's there's no hope in his life.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, and he's limping around the whole time already and whatnot. Cause,
1: Sorry, okay. I think the greatest sadness of it is that Joe Buck is his biggest hope in life, that he is his salvation. He's going right, his- to bring uh, him to Florida and squeeze the oranges in his mouth.
0: Mm-hmm. The only way for him to to get out is basically to exploit Joe Buck's <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> w- willingness to to whore himself out for money, so that they can both get away. Like they form this unlikely friendship after razzo kind of uh, you know swipes his, his money. But I mean, or, I think it. I think we believe in him. the
1: how naive that uh, that um, John Voight is because he's really used in the film.
0: Oh yeah, that's that's one of my favorite things early on. Like he gets to New York, he meets a. A woman he's going to try and hustle, and then immediately gets hustled himself from money. For her.
1: <laughs> I know she, he has to pay for her taxi to leave her place. It's, a,
0: it's this great karmic lesson. Yeah, it is. For and him, that that the city is much bigger than he thought.
1: And you know, the Big Apple has a lot of bite in it too. It's not going to. It's not going to lift you up on its own. You got to go do something.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, their their relationship is really what drives the whole film, and they have a great chemistry together, and, um, you know, it's just wonderful to watch it unfold the whole way up until the very sad, tragic end.
1: Yeah, um, I, I feel like it is such a tragedy, and I love the film because it has kind of the life cycles implemented in it, uh, like the birth in Texas, and then the evolution of life in New York, and then death in Florida, I think... A, I think those places play really well into the motifs of the film.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting and in that we get so many kind of interesting locales, even though, you know, I know like the Texas one they filmed in like some area, like small town in New yeah. Jersey, but it feels like Texas when you see those shots.
1: I mean, it does. They just need a few rundown billboards and a dishwashing place with a, where people wear cowboy hats and that's all you yeah. really need.
0: Very small amount of time spent in Texas, but you get the environment set up and the aesthetic so that. And same thing with Florida. Not a lot of time yeah. spent in Florida. I think there's more time spent in the dream sequence in Florida than there is in the finale in Florida.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. The death comes real fast in this film.
0: hmm. Oh, it's so hard and sad to watch <laughs> yeah. him, him slowly, like, just, like, disintegrating on the bus here. And then when he finally does go, it's just, it just looks completely lifeless and depressing. And then they have the. Keep driving with the body in there. It's
1: just <laughs> I it, I get choked up every time I watch it, invariably, because it's such a slow deterioration, and you have to it sit is. with it the whole film. It, it you have to you have to process and grieve him as he goes.
0: Mm-hmm. And this thing like we were watching together, and we were just like we're like oh oh this is so tough, and it's like it's only like the first leg of the trip there. <laughs> and just yeah, right. He just leaned up against the window, like just drenched in sweat, and like almost like shivering and. He's, like, clearly, like, dying.
1: Oh, man, it's tough. And and uh, the film's so good about uh, how it does sequences, uh, because we had the original bus ride. It felt like it was, like, a, a journey of hope or something, of abandoning youth, but also a naive journey, because he didn't even know he was going to New York. He didn't know what he was going to meet there. And uh, he definitely knew didn't know he was going to Florida afterwards.
0: hmm I think it's uh it's interesting to bookend in the film with two bus rides like that, two yeah, yeah, you know, magnanimous bus bus rides. And
1: they they do deliver him to like uh from birth to you know, the journey to salvation or whatever that is, maybe to grieving.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's hard because when other when all the other people look back on the bus and, and you know he's dying, it's that's a heavy, heavy feeling.
0: I think uh, one other thing I definitely want to talk about—we kind of skipped over here—was we haven't talked about the the style of the film and its context within the '60s filmmaking.
1: Mm-hmm. It, uh, it's coming up off of the French New Wave, so you could feel influences, but also English director. So.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of that—that that European New Wave definitely coming through it. Especially, we have early sequences like when he's uh, when when Joe realizes that you know he's been swindled by Rasso's character, and you see the you know these kind of black and white shots mixed in early on is these kind of picturing catching up to him and like strangling him or whatever very kind of new wave looking the very <laughs> gritty feel of the film throughout
1: um it goes into like a war andy warholian like rabbit hole at some point where it becomes bluer almost like a uh warhol i forget the name of the blue movie though uh maybe it's called blue movie but um <laughs> It it has a Warholian aesthetic until it ends up actually at a Warhol party, which is interesting. It feels
0: like a Warhol party for sure. It it is an
1: all-but-name, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You are right, by the way, it is called Blue Movie. Okay. Um, (laughs)
1: Which came out the same year, actually. The movie that he... Oh, it was. Uh, I guarantee that was an influence then, right?
0: Uh, so it had to be some way. It's definitely influenced by Warhol. Like, the Warhol aesthetic is all over that big party sequence at the end. Very psychedelic looking. They, you know.
1: They're, anyway, in New- Warhol's New York, and that is impossible to remove the influence of.
0: Mm hmm. And, again, like, that whole sequence is felt out, and that's another part where, you know, I think that's where we kind of first see Ratso beginning to deteriorate and die is at that party. Like, mm-hmm. he falls down the stairs during that sequence.
1: Yeah. <laughs> He sends him off with the he sends Joe Buck off with the girl which is really his first successful conquest but mm-hmm. at the same time he's dying and it's still tragic. There's there's no real love in it but uh, also once they get inside that's a it's a really effective other than don't look now it's one of the better love scenes.
0: Yeah, uh the nice thing thing's that you know what we we talked about it earlier is it compared to uh the love scene from the very beginning with the first older woman and mm-hmm. whatnot and how it's kind of I think you talked about how it's well kind of communicated through the the channel surfing that's going on because their butts <laughs> are roving up against the remote. Yeah, and they
1: have the they have that, and it's funny what it goes to. It goes to jazz singer. We were discussing how that shows up in every film that we watch.
0: Yeah, because we talked about it because it happens. It happens to be on the TV in Goodfellas from our <laughs> yeah. podcast a couple times ago, and I don't know why. I don't know why the jazz singer is on every single tv in in films and whatnot and the weird thing is and i'll say this now is that it's always one of the song segments that's how it, that's it how you is. know it feels artificial that mm-hmm. for people who don't know the jazz singer is mostly a silent film still it's just the song sequences that you that are recorded <laughs> and which was which blew my mind when i saw it i'm like this is weird yeah i thought this was the first scene. like sound film why is there no sound
1: yeah um i think that it i think it accomplishes something. I think. I think that's probably why, because of its historical significance, and uh, it tends to come in on films that are trying to make big artistic statements and be the first kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this in this sequence as well, like the they do the cheeky thing with the TV, where it's kind of conveying the the, the sense of the <laughs> sex that's going on.
1: It's really funny too, because it's it's flipping to all kinds of chaotic stuff, and it mm-hmm. it's showing that yeah, it's a different kind of sex, and they're you know they have like Scrabble board on their butt and whatever it is. Right, so, <laughs> that's also a funny I, thing.
0: Yeah, uh, it's a it's a funny way of looking at sex, and I think that <laughs> the you know John John view on it, you know, his perspective on the film, I think, is the the greatest advantage the film has. It does really feel like an auteur film. Yeah,
1: I I think that's a very cheeky, no pun intended, way to look at sex. Very English. <laughs> um.
0: Yeah, but but his perspective as well, just being a you know a a, a gay man as well. Yeah gives the film so much more legitimacy i think as we said like it it would be hard to imagine a a street director giving the film the same kind of perspective
1: i think it's i think it's mostly implied but i think the film's full of gay rights i think it's foundational it's like the godfather of the indie gay film that's out today this is like i go to festivals that are entirely this film now you know
0: Mm -hmm. well in this film it certainly shows it's not afraid to show the the more tragic side of it like you know how these characters live in the slums essentially you know and how they're oppressed you get that perspective of the, the gay culture there. You know, you see that in, like like we said, in the encounter with the, the Bob Battle Band, still very much kind of taboo. And like I you said, you, you sympathize with his character because he's just trying to be normal and he's not allowed to express that in, you know, open public, essentially. That he has to go this kind of back alley way of, you know, figuring it out.
1: Hmm. And, um, that's that's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting exploration of sex. It's really foundational for something like a, a my own private Idaho, which I really love. And uh, that's like the North Pacific Northwest version with the uh, Keanu Reeves again and uh, River Phoenix, of course.
0: Right. Uh, I think it's definitely an interesting connection to make there, and certainly you couldn't have something like that without. Midnight Cowboy being no, the wave and, first.
1: And you know, like Gus Van Sant's like a student of the New Wave anyway and the avant garde and this film is fully within that uh Andy Warholian cycle of uh well let's let's not totally flip the script, but uh let's do something new.
0: Yeah. It's it's definitely an interesting take again in, in so many things. It's an interesting kind of uh you know, brotherhood movie, it's an interesting gay rights film, it's an interesting New York film. Midnight Cowboy really wears, you know, so many different badges. And is able to do so many uh different things and that's why I think it's you know stood out so much in 1969 as this really culturally relevant film.
1: Yeah, and I think it is so um influential and that uh, I think it, I think Criterion picked it up for a good reason. I think that it has such a great uh, stature within the film community and it's it's really well well rewatchable for me, surprising yeah. considering how heavy it is.
0: Right. Well, also, the thing is that I find myself not rewatching it quite as often. I might rewatch this once a year or so. Like, mm-hmm. it's not one of those films that sits in the back of my mind. Like, oh, I should rewatch this again soon. But, uh, you know, I always find it extremely rewarding when I do, and I'm always blown away by how how tall it stands still. You know, and how significant it is. Just in its possession. like I, I bet you could argue is this is one of the the pivotal, like best, most important films of the entire '60s decade. There.
1: Yeah, I I think it's. I'd say it's. My favorite film about New York. I'm not coming up with a better example of the um, New York know, experience.
0: Personally, I might argue for something like Taxi Driver, but you know, yeah, that's yeah, how sure. big we're talking here. You know, it's that's how kind of relevant it is, and it's that it's that right time to make a New York film too. Right on the cusp of the '70s, there, when the city was still kind of sorting itself out and you know trying to dig itself out of the grime.
1: And I I still think that uh, people should go check out my own private Idaho. If they have any affection at all for this film, it deals a lot in the same kind of prostitution and friendship, and um, sort of. Uh, it also has the weird traveling element, except they go to Italy for some reason, which isn't really clear. Hmm,
0: it's interesting. I I still gotta check that one out. Maybe we'll oh, make
1: yeah. a future podcast about that. It'll one. It would make a great podcast, uh, especially River since Phoenix I think a... is I I I mean I'd say that Yo know, Hoffman's. Is one of the best performances, but uh, I think River Phoenix overperforms there and might even be mm-hmm. better.
0: I think that'd be an interesting thing to bring up again if we do certainly talk about it. I'm not sure we'll make comparisons back to this because this is a, yeah th- this film's going to stay in my mind again for quite some time. I'm sure it's going to. Yeah. I can't it, shake it that of, ending.
1: <laughs> it kind of lives with you, doesn't it? I think the moment for me is when everyone turns on the bus, and it, it, that's always stuck in my head.
0: That ending is, is so emotionally affecting, it's really hard to shake and I felt myself kind of tearing up still at the end. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's an emotional jackhammer is what it feels like. It
1: is. I I think I think also the way that you feel about voiceover I also share your feeling about like um flashbacks and in this they don't even bother me because they're so effective and visually interesting.
0: hmm The flashbacks are really great here early on, you know, there there's a lot of them but they're all done and not a constant anyway. It's not like a usual flashback where it's like, oh well, let's just drop all this exposition. It's all visually told. Like none of the words spoken in the flashbacks matter because no. that's not what you're supposed to be taking away.
1: No, they could be very they could be very jar- jarring if they're uh, badly implemented. Because a lot of it's weird stuff, like this girl getting taken away in a paddy wagon or something, or like a uh, uh, a lot of the train stuff. A lot of travel is very important in these.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh I don't know. It's Midnight Cowboys. Just it's a an enduring film that's an absolutely fantastic experience still and needs to be seen by more people needs to be recognized still it's its 50th anniversary god damn it i mean (laughs) why isn't everyone talking about it why are we the only ones talking about it
1: maybe in a few days people will get it on their radar hopefully we draw some attention get some people watching this film so they don't keep quoting without knowing what it is
0: hopefully please that shit pisses (laughs) me off
1: (laughs) maybe maybe target will put a dvd out with that on the cover
0: Ah uh, you know if it gets people to watch the film, fine, I, <laughs> I, I want to hear people recognize the film for for what it is it's It's important cultural landmark.
1: I'm very happy that it's been included in criterion, so it has that kind of enduring status, and we know that it's protected for a long time because I want yep. this film to be out there.
0: Mhm-, I absolutely agree has, and, uh, um,
1: has one of my favorite criterion covers too it's It's gorgeous and it feels like midnight twilightish looking with the cowboy.
0: Well, it also kind of reminisces of the, the the nightclub sequence as well, with all the kind of circular red and blue lights and all that.
1: Yeah, we didn't talk very much about that, but uh, that's a really important sequence in the film.
0: Mhm. All right. Well, I'm so glad that we ended up talking about this film, Calvin. It yeah. You know, I'm I'm glad we made time for it. It was important to me to talk about it on the <laughs> yeah. 50th anniversary. I'm glad we <laughs> so made. again.
1: I'm glad we made more than two hours to re-podcast this film. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it was a little, a little hard. Talk. I mean, I didn't find it too hard to say everything again. because, no. you know the film still sticks in my mind, but
1: if you if you listen through it, don't be worried. We just said all the same things again, ex- exactly the same words. So
0: it's all good, it, it, down to the breath pauses. Yeah, right. <laughs> all um, right, Calvin. I'll, I'll see. You, look forward to seeing you next week again for our next discussion.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll be back with John Wick with Tyler again, so that'll be fun.